Hey, this is Brent Jensen, and you're listening to No Sleep Till Sudbury, the show where we talk about the music that makes your skin vibrate. The show is brought to you by Pariah Pickups, handcrafted guitar pickups made with lots of love down in Detroit Rock City. Check them out, pariahpickups.com. Well, how about that? We hit the 200th episode mark, and the No Sleep Till Sudbury podcast turns four this month. Since the first episodes were recorded in March 2017, the show has grown so much, and I've grown right along with it. The people I've met, the experiences that I've enjoyed have been rewarding beyond words. It's a genuine privilege to share musical perspectives with the guests that I've had and to hear their stories. Sometimes they're funny, sometimes they're sad, always informative, and usually pretty personal. And looking back over the 199 episodes that we've done, I'm proud that we've covered as much territory as we have. When COVID hit last year, I wasn't sure how to continue with the show, or or quite honestly, if I even would. But as we all did, the show pressed on. We found a way, as we always do. And with a few exceptions, episode 200 focuses mostly on moments from the last 50 shows just because episodes 100 and 150 did the same. And while I'm fortunate to have enjoyed enough of these moments over No Sleep Till Sudbury's history to do a show that could last an entire day or more, most of us just don't have that kind of time. So, here's the next best thing. This is a collection of some of the moments that make No Sleep Till Sudbury something I continue to be inspired by, am thankful for, and something I'm very proud of. Now let's kick it off with some stories. I've been told some great stories on this show over the years, and I dug up some recent favorites of mine. I love this one from episode 165. It's Kim Mitchell telling me about him opening for Van Halen in Rochester, and how his lighting guy almost got him kicked off the tour. And after that one, Erica M. talks about driving U2 around Toronto in her mom's Firebird from episode 170. And then after that, her old Much Music colleague, Christopher Ward, tells me in episode 177 about the time Robert Plant invited he, Alana Miles, and Mike Myers out for dinner at Spago in West Hollywood. I have a good story about that, actually. Um, you know, you can edit this out if you want. But, oh, but no, take your time. This was, a, this, was, this was a funny moment. Ed, we played with him in Rochester, and my lighting guy mm-hmm. and my sound guy and I'm on side of the stage on Eddie's side, and they're playing away in the It's an afternoon show. And Eddie has his, his like, sort of amble case, pitcher amble case with all these different drinks, like Gatorade, there's water, there's this, there's that, there's probably Jack Daniels, whatever <laughs> there was. And he comes over and he runs over in between a song and we're kind of standing there and he goes, and he says, <laughs> he looks at us all, he goes, oh my God, he says, it sounds like shit up here today. And, and my lighting guy goes, oh yeah, you should hear it out there. <laughs> And, and then he puts this big look at his face like, what? Cause, cause, <laughs> oh, no. It's like, I looked at my lighting guy and I went, dude, what did you just say? <laughs> like, what <are> you... <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, man. That's so funny. So next, Erica, is you too, and I will follow. Tell me about that. That was the band that made me fall in love. Mm-hmm with innovative music so this this album came out while i was working at shom fm Mm -hmm. while i was djing in bars okay and you two 
did their first gig in Montreal at the Club Montreal, Club Montreal. Now, I was also DJing at a club called Blues. Okay. And it was my favorite song, I Will Follow. It was like I had a single and I had the, like, a, a, I think it was a colored vinyl single of it. Mm-hmm. So when they were coming, I was freaking out. No one really knew who they were. <laughs> and so I went there in the afternoon when they did their sound check. And I walked up to Bono at the time and I said, hi, my name's Erica. I love you so much. You know, and, <laughs> but it was kind of cooler than that. Yeah. <laughs> I was very new wave and punk. I had the best leather pants, ripped shirts. I was into Susie and the Banshees, Gang of Four. Oh, nice. I mean, I was a, I was DJing in, in alternative clubs. Yeah. So he was really nice. Mm. And he he said, you should keep in touch with us. And I think the manager gave me his phone number. Wow. Or something. And... Um, they were playing in Ottawa this, that next night. So I called the manager and I said, can I come? Yeah. And he goes, sure. So I drove to Ottawa the next day and ended up going backstage with the band. Mm-hmm. And they're just so polite. They're not pigs. <laughs> like <Yeah. a> lot <laughs> of They're just, and I was never a groupie. I just wanted to be around the magic. Yeah. So I was backstage with them. I stayed out really late. Okay. I drove back to Toronto and I slept in and I remember that I got fired from at my job at the record store. Oh, I was working at Sam's at that time. Okay. Sam, the record man at the time in Montreal. And they fired me because I slept in, oh. but I thought it was a, you know, a valiant way to lose one's job yeah. was to be spending time backstage with you two who no one had heard of at the time. Like they were playing at Barry Moore's at the time, small mm. little bar in Ottawa. That must have been an exciting time to watch them because, you know, this is 81, I want to say. And, you know, Larry Mullen looked like he was 12 at that time. These guys had this fire, I remember, live, right? And they were God-fearing, kind, generous, nice guys. Wow. Gee, that's so, good to and, know. Okay, I, I actually ended up um, spending the night with all of them and... My girlfriend and I, when we drove to uh, Toronto a few Mm. years later, Mm. drove my mom's car all the way to Toronto. I'd never been to Toronto. (laughs) We arrived there. We called them because we had their phone number. And they went, sure, here's a couple of backstage passes. Come and watch the band. And after the show, they said, where are you guys staying? And we were like, "Uh." (laughs) uh, we didn't even know that Toronto was so far because we came from Montreal. My girlfriend, Ava. Yeah. And, um. They were like, we'll put you up. No problem. Wow, that's awesome. Honestly, the nicest guys. Wow. The nicest guys. And I drove them around in my mom's yellow Firebird. We were all at the Domino Club, <laughs> which I'd never been to. I was just, some Bono said when we were backstage, does anyone have a car? I was like, I do. Oh, Let's wow. go then. So they all got in my car because like, I don't drink and and I don't party, so yeah. I'm safe to drive around. And we went to the Domino Club, and that's when they said, "Where are you, girl? Where are you girls staying?" And it was like two o'clock in the morning. And we were like, "Uh, <laughs> we didn't even think about oh, yeah. where we would sleep. It didn't even cross our minds." That is crazy. Now, nicest guys. You you likely spoke to Bono through Much Music years after this. I'm imagining never. Oh, ever would they let me interview him Why? because they thought that I would get all gush, which uh, I wouldn't have. 
But I, I, anyway, I would think that damn you, those much music people. Well, seriously, they, I, I would think that your relationship with him previous would add a, an interesting dimension to the interview, wouldn't yeah. it? I never, ever got to interview them at much. That but people sucks. always think I have because I talked about them all the time. Mm -hmm. Well, um, Alana was opening up for Robert on tour in the United States. Mm -hmm. And Alana and I had been a couple for many, many years. Mm -hmm. But we had broken up, you know, in the, during the making of the record, conveniently enough. I mean, the true rock and roll moment, right? Mm -hmm. um, but we actually, the thing with she and I was kind of different. Is we actually got along better as a result. Uh, we just, you know, I just ended up picking her up on the way to work as opposed to leaving from the same apartment. It was like everything else just <laughs> continued as was, which was great. So, you know, when she became Robert Plant's girlfriend, I mean, I was delighted for her. It, you know, kept her, kept her hands busy and, uh, you know, she had, she had a good time. Mm-hmm. So he asked me and, and a group of my friends, he was like, oh, bring your friends. Kind of, it was an open invitation to go to Spago, which at the time was you know, Wolfgang Puck's very first restaurant in West Hollywood and his signature restaurant and, and you know, a very sort of hip place to go. Mm -hmm. So I thought, oh, this would be great, you know. So we went and I had a few friends with me, uh, including Dave Tyson, who was Atlanta's producer. Mm -hmm. And um, Mike Myers was, was along as well. And um, having dinner with Robert Plant in a, you know, the chic place like that is, I would imagine, would be kind of like dining with Henry VIII. Okay. It was like, you know, more wine for all my rock and roll <laughs> friends and, you know, flagons of this and trays of that. And, you know, yeah. and he's just so larger than life. But he's delightful about it. And he's very self-aware. And he's just a funny and sweet guy. And, and, you know, he knows he's this legendary character and that he has to live up to that. And he does it in spades. And it was, it was a fantastic evening and lots of laughs. It was capped off with Wolfgang Puck obsequiously bringing out pizza that was custom made in the shape of a double neck guitar. Oh, <laughs> that's great. Yeah, you got to like that, huh? Yeah. Um, so that was great. And then at the end of the dinner, you know, Lana and Robert were swanning around Spago, talking to people at various tables and things. Mm -hmm. While Mike and Dave and I went out to the valley parking, we were looking at each other and going, <laughs> wow, that was a pretty memorable night. And actually during the dinner at one point, Mike looked over at me and mimed, like making notes. <laughs> he's going to use it, which I have no doubt he did. <laughs> um, probably in Wayne's world too. But um, so we're standing there. This is this is sort of the capper to the stories. We're standing outside, you know, marveling at this experience. And who comes out but Don Rickles and his wife? And he's going, "Hey, honey, do you know who that was? The guy with the broad, you know, and the long hair. Yeah, that was Led Zeppelin. <laughs> we was having dinner with. Hey, honey, what do you think, honey? That was Led Zeppelin. We're just standing there going." Can the weird get any weirder? That is so great. Oh, but the best part, the button on the story is that uh, Robert stuck me with the bill. <gasps> Are you kidding? Yeah. No, no. <laughs> oh. that's, what, that's what rock stars do, Brent. So don't dine with them. That's all I can say, man. Good yeah. Lord, really? I'm, I'm surprised to hear that. It was worth it, though. Story like this, it's, it's worth many times the cost of the meal. <laughs> And the, and the flagons of wine for all my rock and roll friends. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Recent episode 195. Jeremy White tells me about how Ingve Malmstein almost killed him. Do you know Ingve Malmstein almost killed me? What? 
Yeah, I almost got murked by Ingve Malmsteen. I was at it? I was at his concert about uh, over ten years ago. Now it's at Club Soda in Montreal. Okay. And he's on stage. He's got his wall of Marshalls, and you know he's playing his Ferrari Strad. And yeah. Now he's throwing guitar picks left and right into the freaking crowd. Okay. Okay. He throws a guitar pick up and he kicks it with his boot. Oh. It flew right into my throat. No way. I'm not kidding you. Like, shoots, he scores. It went right <laughs> to the back of my throat. I'm choking. I'm, like, literally choking. At the, and like, I'm like, I didn't even notice. I'm like, what the fuck is What is this? Yeah. And I finally I finally cough it up, and it's in my hand. And it was an Ingve Malmsteen guitar pick. What a bizarre story. What the fuck? Did, <laughs> did, he, did he see that? Did he know he did no, it? No, he didn't see it. But the true story, my buddy Bruce was with me. <laughs> And I spit it up, and he looked. He looked at my hand. and looked at me. He's like, "Dude, <laughs> <laughs> it was like one of those like Wayne's World moments." <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> yeah. So Ingrid Malmsteen almost murdered me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in addition to great stories, I also often hear a lot of interesting facts and tidbits from artists I grew up listening to, which is definitely one of the coolest things about doing this show. In episode 167, spoon singer Gord Depp lets me in on a little secret about vinyl pressing. And from episode 191, Gogo's bassist Kathy Valentine explains the origins of that unorthodox hand clap in their hit Head Over Heels. And then after that, Steve Gorman from the Black Crows lets me in on some intel regarding the recording of their Amorica record from episode 147. And if you go on, here's another cool thing. Maybe yeah. people don't know this, but on vinyl, especially in the old days, on the middle ring around, you know where the, the label is on a, on a yeah on a record. Yeah, there's usually a number there that's etched by hand, okay. by the lacquering place. Yeah, and sometimes if you were there, they would let you put something there, like write it in. Seriously? Yeah. Well, look at some of your old albums. You'd be amazed what you find. Oh, and he said, wow. "Do you have anything you want to put there?" And I thought I couldn't think of anything, so I kind of made the A side the first episode of the Prisoner, and the B and the second side the the other side. So the, if you look carefully, it says Arrival, which is no the first episode. Way. And if you look on the back side, it says Departure. I don't think the, I don't think the last one is called Departure, but that, it just made sense. Okay, so before we get into your the, the songs that make your skin vibrate, Kathy, I have a music geek question for you as a GoGo's fan. Mm -hmm. Will you indulge me on this? Of course. So, so this is something I always wondered about ever since the 80s when I first heard the song. So the song Head Over Heels, I think you wrote that with Charlotte Caffey, right? Uh-huh. So whose idea, I've always wondered this, it's a stupid question, but I got to ask you, whose idea was it to put that hand clap in Head Over Heels? <laughs> uh, it's so funny because only one other person has asked me that. Mm. So I've got my answer ready because I had to think <laughs> about it. And I can't say with 100% certainty, but I can say with probably 80% certainty but that was Martin Russian's idea. Okay. He was our producer, and he has passed away. Tragically, I never got to see him or talk to him again after we made that record. But Martin really liked this, um, the Lynn drum machine. The, yes. uh, no, not, not the Lynn, the Oberheim. That's what that sound was. And, you know, we had to kind of come to a truce that we didn't want a bunch of synthesized you know, drum machine sounds on our record. And he had to, you know, accept that. But we also had to accept that he might have some ideas here and there. So that I think that was his idea to put it there. Mm. And I'm not quite sure what made it. I think it's on the, the fifth beat. It, it, that's, see, that's, that's the, the weird thing. Measure. 
that that is the weird thing, <laughs> Kathy, is that it's so it's used in such an unorthodox way, but it totally works because when you first hear it, you think, what was that? And then it disappears <laughs> and then it comes back again on the fifth beat. And you're like, it shouldn't be on the fifth beat. And it, where is it now? Like, it's just, it's really cool, actually. I've always thought that. It is good. And it's really funny. Live still, you can tell, like, the diehard fans, that they know where to put it. Like, oh, they'll, really? they'll do it with their, yeah. And you'll see other people, like, not know where to put it or not even know that it's there. <laughs> Going back to Downtown Money Waster, so both versions are pretty different. And I always wondered when I heard Amorica's version, it, it kind of sounds like, you know, there's maybe the influence of some some chemicals going on in there. But, like, just because it's... Yeah, you know, I wasn't there. That's not, I didn't play on that. Um, oh, really? That was... Uh, Johnny and I finished the album. It was They were mixing the album. Yeah. And Johnny and I had already gone back to Atlanta. And then I, I think Eric Bobo was in the studio adding congas to something one day. And then that, they just whipped that thing together and had Bobo play whatever he played on it. And it's all over the place timeline. I mean, it's got some weird time signatures and it moves around. But I remember being sent that version and I just thought, what the hell is this? Yeah. Like, well, what is this? And, uh, and I thought, oh, this is a great B-side. It's a classic thing to add on the Japanese import. You know, it's a little weird. Yeah. And suffice to say, when, when Chris wanted it on the track listing I, th- I thought it was like why what are you talking about like it just didn't make any sense to me but but i had much you know i was i was far more concerned with the album cover than the second to last song on the album not being my favorite to keep things interesting i've been adding twists to the show standard format of talking about five songs that make your skin vibrate and guests seem to really enjoy playing along with this stuff in these next clips we all had some good fun from episode 175 Honeymoon Suites' Johnny D and Derry Gran try to guess each other's songs from their previous appearances on the show. And then a bit later in episode 183, Gordon Sandy from The Spoons do the same. I gotta remember, Derry's got, in a song, Derry's, you know, every song, most great songs are like three, three minutes, 50 seconds, sometimes four minutes if you want to take a chance. Mm-hmm. Derry's got probably a minute tops. So think about it. I got to do a vocal. His guitar solo should be a continuation of my vocal. And he needs to do it in a very short period of time. And yeah. so these guitar players that you mentioned, they all do it. And it's like, so yeah, he's, he's had great influences and it shows. That's a great point. Now, you know, that would lead to a question. Well, I can go, I, I can go on further. Sorry, Brent. It's like I've met other guitar players that just want to get up and start wailing away, playing all these notes. It's like there is no melody in here. Meanwhile, you know, this is not what we are. So I'm like I'm giving a great compliment to Dermot to be able to do that. Thank you, Johnny. It's like I I think I mentioned this earlier, Brett, that like a solo is just got to be like another verse in the song. It's got to sing and it's got to it's got to have its own identity. And it's not yeah. how many notes, it's it's which notes you play. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I was going to ask. So Darius, does that go through your mind? So when you listen to the song and, you know, you go to write your solo for it, does, you know, how you convey the solo line up with the lyrics of the song at all? I think that vocals are just wasted time in between guitar solos. You know. <laughs> <laughs> What? <laughs> that's just, no, I'm only kidding. That's the guitar player. 
Yeah, it's definitely a guitar player thing. Well, let me interject. If you go off on a tangent, I'll be the first one to tell you. Anyways, there you go. It's a theme song for a TV show that influenced you when you first came here. And you've got to be able to guess it. When you first moved here, you were so influenced by and freaked out by watching. There's two things you were watching. A TV show? Like like the became Part- very Partridge Family or the Monkeys or no oh so it's not like a musicians in the there's not musicians in the Mm-mm. playing parts of well the Twilight Zone wouldn't have a singer so it's not that I used to watch the Twilight Zone let me see what else getting closer you're uh, getting closer really what did were you freaked out by watching when you first came over from Star Germany? Trek yep there's a theme in there theme song for oh that Star- <laughs> but nobody's singing in that. Are you just thinking the melody? Yeah, I, the the singing part of it. I, oh, I used right. to practice against it to get my vocal cords to go higher. You know what? Higher. Oh, I didn't know. Now that, that you mentioned it, that kind of sounds like you in there, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if you look at the um, opening of the Aries album, the um, Trade Winds, you kind of do that in there too. Yeah, I had no idea. No, really? The, you know the melody? The, yeah. The, the, the How's it going? Song? Can you give us a little taste? Oh, I can't remember the lyrics. I was I was reading through the lyrics. Let me just so give us the ah, part. Oh, 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 Sometimes guests actually give me an opportunity to get in on the fun and talk about the music that makes my skin vibrate. In this next clip from episode 197, featuring Honeymoon Suite and Roger Hodgson keyboardist Ray Coburn, he does it more out of good-natured spite, really. Who are uh, a few of your favorites? I know oh. that's a really impossible question, but I owe it to you because at first I was like, well, shit, this is a, this is a nasty thing for Ben to do to make me pick five songs. <laughs> So uh, give me a few of your favorite songs, albums, bands. For his annual Christmas episode series from his home last year, episode 189, Triumph frontman Rick Emmett actually asked me for five songs that I could talk about, and then he deconstructed them for me to explain why they made my skin vibrate. That was pretty cool. Hey, come on. You knew Rick Emmett would pop up somewhere in this thing. What would a compilation episode be without a contribution from Uncle Ricky? And I think your Planet Caravan choice is kind of an obvious example and also a good one because that's not what you'd expect from Black Sabbath. So right away you're getting this violation of your expectation. That's it. But you're getting it from an audio point of view. Yeah. uh, You know, very much. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a good choice. It was, you you know, not as good as the next one I (laughs) am. That's good. And that is Alfie. <laughs> oh, this is the one, buddy. So This is my tune of the whole list right is here. It? Oh, yeah. Like, this is just such an amazing song. You picked a song we're going to come up to, which, which features, I'm not going to say the song yet because I don't want to give it away, but um, <laughs> it's the vocalist Marcus King. Yes. And he's got this kind of tone in his voice. He's just this guy, like, he's so authentic. It's so rich. Oh, you yeah. Know? 
And he's a young guy, but he's yeah. really got that thing, that vibe in his voice. And his guitarist on that track is just so incredibly right. thick and rich and oh, right yeah. in that ballpark. So a guy of my age, I go, oh, yeah. You know, that just goes directly to my gonads. You know, like that is just so See, amazing. I figured you'd either absolutely love that or be dismissive and say, no, nah, it's, it's... No, no, it's it's great. It's great. Yeah. So... We we are uh, seduced by the dynamic range of things, not just emotionally, but also sonically, right? Pitch. Pitch can also play into preference. Some people can't stand the thumping low beats of modern hip-hop. You know, the guy, he drives his car, and oh, you can I still hear it guy. four blocks away. Yeah. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Others can't stand what they describe as the high-pitched whininess of violins. Or when I was young... Rick Emmett's voice, it sounds Soprano. like Getty Lee. It sounds like a rake on a sidewalk. <laughs> yeah. That was a, was that was once in a, re, in a review. What? Oh, yeah. A reviewer once said, oh, his voice kind of sounds like a rake on a sidewalk. Which record? Which record? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Are you, you know, kidding me? Pick any one of the early Triumph ones. I had a pretty high voice. Uh, well, I know. And so did Getty. Uh, well, sure. I, yours wasn't as high as his, though. I, I, I sang high as high notes. I just didn't sing them with the same tone. I was listening to Allied Forces on the way over here, actually. Oh, yeah? Good taste of soprano. I think that was one of our best records. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's my favorite. I, I, sang, I sang the shit out of a few things on that. You really I did. I sang pretty good. Yeah. But go to the end of Fight the Good Fight, my friend, and tell me that Getty Lee sang any higher than me. I'm sorry he did not. I hit some notes in there that I think only dogs actually react. Oh, <laughs> the third verse is like, yeah, towards the end. Of the tag? Oh, yeah, yeah. Of your lifetime, every day. That's it. That's, those are... Those are high, man. I was going to ask you yeah. to play that on my way over. <laughs> you sing that I can't do it in those keys anymore. I'll tell you that. Recording those episodes with Rick was a lot of fun. I really enjoy the exchanges that I have with my guests, and I pulled up a few more of those for you here. Episode 172 with my pal Tom Jokic. My conversation with Widemouth Mason drummer Safwan Javed from episode 176. And then going all the way back to episode 28 when Def Leppard guitarist Phil Collins surprised me by telling me who his favorite band was. All right, Tom, that is your list, my friend. Well done. Well, thanks. It's uh, been a real pleasure. And, um, oh, hey, can we talk about the song that makes my skin crawl? We can. We, we can. <laughs> it's, uh, I believe it's uh, Starship, We Built This City, oh, is it not? Yeah, it sure is. And it's just one of the songs. It's my least favorite song in the history of music. And there's so many reasons for it, but one of them is for a band with such a an important history, as in the Jefferson Airplane, to evolve into something that did such a trite and meaningless song as we built this city was just shocking to me. And I hate everything that song stands for, including this faux waving the flag for rock and roll and it almost corporate rock and roll when originally that band was the was the antithesis of what they had become and it was i like i hated it that song is just the worst and i could go on forever but i know we're out of time <laughs> way to finish my on the negative my my kids my kids have already told me that dad 
at your funeral, we're playing that song just to piss you oh, off. Oh, <laughs> that's terrible. That's awful. I know, it's kind of funny, though. Tom, you know what? I'll, I'll run in with a boombox and I'll crank Detroit Rock City and I'll drown that's them out. That's the way to do it. How about that? <laughs> if I'm still around, I'll do it. I promise. All right, my man. All right. Tom Jokic, thank you so much. I appreciate you my doing pleasure. this. All right. All right. Take care, Brent. You too. This has been No Sleep Till Sudbury with Brent Jensen. I'm a very special guest. Cool Moody kind of came onto my radar with Wild Wild West because I thought it was just like, it kind of blew my mind a little bit. I was like, who is this dude? It's, it was hilarious. And then I got into it with I Go to Work. And, and he had, I, I, if I remember correctly, I think he had a feud with LL Cool J. Do you remember this? Yeah, I'm trying to remember. There were always beefs, which was also great drama, right? It was so interesting. Yeah. <laughs> like LL Cool J, I feel like, had beefs with several guys. Like, oh, I yeah. think he had beef with. Uh, I can't remember it, but I feel like he had beef with at least three or four guys that I can recall. But, you know, it was like the Eric B. and Rakim era, the Big yep. Daddy Kane era, Slick Rick. There are so many yeah. crazy, fun personalities, and all of them were just, like, hyping themselves. And, yeah, how, how could you not have, have drama come out of that? It's yeah. very entertaining. It was kind of fun back then too, right? It was almost like, um, you know, I'd liken it to like WWF, like like you said, like all the different characters, and they all have these feuds with each other. And yeah. uh, if you look at what is the record, how you like me now? If you look at the album for that, it's it's Kumudi standing in the foreground, in the background there's a jeep, and under the front tire uh, is uh, that trademark Kangol hat that LLJ <laughs> used to wear. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? It's pretty funny, seriously. Yeah. Right under the front tires, it's like, how do you like me now? Pretty subtle. Pretty yes, subtle, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, your next tune, Phil, is by The Police, and it's Walking on the Moon. Right, The Police um, are my favorite all-time band. That's, that's the, the Really? And, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. I, I, think, I think Sting um, was, and... and sometimes is my favorite songwriter i i think he uh he can you know walk the line of, of actually great songwriting and uh and pop silliness i mean he yeah. can really do the extreme he actually can go he can get a little um you know blase and he can do anything he wants right, from a songwriting point of view he, sorry it's funny you say that phil because i've always said that the sting's true talent was being able to you know write lyrics where he rhymed things like Forenza and influenza, you know. And right, <laughs> absolutely. He can do whatever he wants. He could be silly, you know, da da da, da one yeah. minute, and then you know, uh, yeah. Every breath you take is is one of the classic songs of all time. Yeah. And, uh, walking on the moon, though, we've actually done something to me as well. It just it, again, it, it, it was a goosebump thing. You know, as much as I, I I would go, I wish I'd wrote every breath you take. It's it's walking on the moon that that send shivers down my spine and i think it was the the sound of the um the, again the band and, and everything you know just so haunted mm-hmm. and, and just the, the the vibe of the whole thing and uh you know the space and the, the andy summers everything about it you know that they, they were a true hybrid you know they took you know the, the reggae thing and, and the rock thing and, and it came out you know in in the punk era yeah. uh, so it, it just had a bit more venom in it as well it had a lot more fire than, than guys who normally these guys were like jazz guys you know they all played you know in jazz bands before but there was a, a an absolute fire yeah. in, in the playing like you know Stuart Copeland one of my favorite drummers of oh, all time yeah. 
when you put those three in together, it, it just done magical things. And whenever I hear the the, the band, you know, I, that's again goosebump time. I know I keep saying that, but it's uh, the, the police do that every every time I hear them play. You know, I, I got to see them when they reformed, and yeah, I, again, I thought it was magical. It's my favourite band, and so you know, I would say that. But uh, I, I do think Sting's a the most uh, amazing songwriter and you know you can you can do a, write a classic uh or or, or you know you can and be a, make make a silly pop song or, oh, yeah. or both you know so it's yeah, yeah he's, he's not afraid to laugh at himself i, I like that on, right. on his um I, I can't remember the name of the song but on his later solo stuff you know he towards the it was the outro of the song and he said every every breath you take every cake you bake every egg you break you know and he was kind of like making fun of uh, of uh, every breath you take and, and stuff like that like he's just you know that's his thing right absolutely and there's in like stories like there's a song on one of his solo albums as it hung my head i think it's almost like a country song but yeah it's, it's more than that it, in, instead of just doing you know i hate the way where country has gone now it's it's kind of taken the, the the great elements out of country and western which was like a story a real heartfelt you know warm story and it's got really commercial and icky and <laughs> i i think with this song hung my head you know it's, it's a story about you know this father and son or going riding out on their on their horses and, and it's it you pay attention to it because it's such supreme songwriting yeah. and and i just listening to the lyrics and i think that Someone can make you sing along, and on another song, they can actually make you focus on the lyrics. That's that's a that's a true test of a great beat songwriter. So, you know, I can't say enough about Sting as a songwriter. I think he's, he's he doesn't get enough credit for that. Yeah, you know, I think another thing he doesn't get enough credit for Phil is his bass playing. He is a fantastic. Absolutely. You know, if you listen, you listen to you know any one of those police songs, you really listen to the isolated bass line. It's fantastic. It really is, and I think what uh, again, what what it, it's got such a uh, confidence and prominence, and you know, there's a there's a real power to it. You know, it's like it's really hardcore. It's very punk rock. Yeah. I don't mean that in a yeah, yeah, just. I'm talking about the approach of it. It's like it's very unapologetic, and it's mm-hmm. and it's very. You hear him whenever. Yeah, I mean, I, I love his bass playing. It's great. Yeah, and the fact that he can sing that stuff while he's playing is is kind of. You know, it's Getty Lee territory. Exactly, yeah. exactly, right? So the bass lines are intricate yeah. on their own, and then at the same time, he's actually singing, so. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah, so impressive. Three masterclass musicians, for sure, in the police. Definitely, Great band. Definitely. You know, COVID has provided some real challenges to No Sleep Till Sudbury in terms of hosting guests in an in-person live capacity. And that's meant missing out on another of my favorite aspects of doing the show, which is having guests perform live. But we did manage to get in a couple of performances during the Steam Whistle sessions in November 2020. Here's my pal Stephen Stanley doing a new song of his called The Owl from episode 186. And following that is R&B singer Sandra Boza from an episode that was actually recorded in December 2019 and lost for almost a year. When it was recovered, it would become episode 180. So it's called The L. I love the song. Please, go ahead. Thank you. An owl appeared The day after you were gone 
Up by the bridge on Woodbine Avenue Hanging on a branch Could hardly support its own weight A flock of minor birds singing Hey When you're gonna go away As I carried on Sold eyes followed my steps And I couldn't catch my own breath And that damn little voice in my head Saying did this have to be that day And it spoke to me as it jammed my reception. See, there ain't gonna be no resurrection. And it carried on with just a hint of inflection, singing everything worth knowing is sitting in your record collection. Everything worth knowing is sitting in your record collection. Major key, it's a minor affliction of the heart. So tell me, how did this start when you transplanted all of those things? Then you taught a city how to sing. Saying we gotta change everything And we're gonna change everything And we're gonna love everything And it spoke to me As it jammed my reception Say there ain't gonna be no resurrection and it carried on with just a hint of inflection singing everything worth knowing is sitting in your record collection everything worth knowing is sitting in your record collection At least they know your story As you cast lots The small and the great, yeah And in a blaze of glory They spoke of you for forty nights And forty days, yeah I don't know how to answer when you ask how was your day sadness like a cancer 
It spreads so far, but let the music play. And everything worth knowing is sitting in your record collection. Everything worth knowing is sitting in your record collection. Everything worth knowing is sitting in your record collection. Everything worth knowing is sitting in your record collection. It's called Time for Me to Go. Tell me the truth, babe. Do I still make your blood boil? Tell me the truth, babe. Would you still ring around the world for me now? Tell me the truth, babe. When's the last time that you screamed my name? Tell me the truth, babe. Is it more passion or just pain? I don't want to argue no more. I ain't got nothing left to fight for. I don't know how we got here, but it's time for me to go no more, I ain't got nothing, nothing left to fight for. I don't know how we got here, but it's time for me to go. You come to me now slow, with your head down low. You say, honey, I got some. Some things on my mind Yeah, I'd like to find the time To set aside and maybe figure it out Let's have a conversation But I say I don't want to argue no more I ain't got nothing left to fight for I don't know how we got here But it's time for me to go Yeah, I don't want to argue no more It's time for me to go But it's time for me to 
Yes. What a voice. Here's a little extra. One of those little moments from the show that are unforgettable for me. Sandra very graciously offers to sing a verse from one of my favorite songs, To Sir With Love, in acapella. Talk about skin vibration. All right, you want to hear To Sir With Love? Yes, give me one verse. Uh, okay. A special treat. A We're like going off the rails here with this. Hope it goes well. <laughs> <laughs> Those schoolgirl days of telling tales and biting nails are gone. But in my mind, I know that they will still live on and on. But how do you think someone who has taken you from crayons to perfume it? It isn't easy, but I'll try. If you wanted the sky, I would write across the world in letters that would soar a thousand feet high to serve with love. Do, 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 do. I can't even talk. God, I love that song. Oh, my God. <laughs> I love that song. I don't, don't even know what to say. That was incredible. Thank you. All right, I've got one more clip for you now. This is going all the way back to episode 72 and the great Ron McLean. Ron and I have had some deep and meaningful conversations about music, both on and off the air over the years. And the raw sentimentality that he shares when he talks about his favorite music in many ways perfectly embodies what I had hoped to achieve when I first started this podcast four years ago. Honest, genuine conversation about how music really makes us feel. And for me, this clip says it all. Okay, next is uh, Jerry Rafferty in Baker Street. I love this tune, too. Yeah, and there's a lot of, uh, you know, your your book, uh, All My Favorite People Are Broken. Uh, I have a fair number of people that are broken that I adore. You're going to hear two in a row, I think, here. Yeah. Jerry Rafferty is, uh, you know, he died, I don't know at what age, I think uh, 62, but, you know, he, he, he fell victim to alcohol addiction and... Uh, such a great, I mean, the song itself speaks for itself. The harmonies, the melody, uh, it's, you know, I love, for me uh, as a broadcaster, that line of, you know, you used to say that it was so easy. You used to think that it was so easy, but you're trying. You're trying now. Yeah. Another year and then you'd be happy. Another year, one more year and you'd be happy. But you're crying. You're crying now. Um, God, I love the, I love the sax. I love the oh, yeah. lyrics. I love everything about the album, even Steeler's Wheel. You know, he, everything he ever did was uh, beyond belief. Uh, stuck in the middle with you. Oh yeah, uh, you're a star. Yeah, Jerry. Jerry for me, uh, because he was a broken human being. Uh, when he sings right down the line, you know, knowing it was another time he'd fallen off the wagon and he disappointed his loved one, and he he's scrambling through song to. Uh, to write thank yous and to write apologies and just revealing so much of his heart. And he had, you know, some bitterness in him. Funny, you and I were talking before the show about Paul McCartney and uh, 
I think he thought the Beatles were overrated. I don't think he... He was a very exacting, very demanding musician, Jerry. He didn't appear in America. He wouldn't take the bait and take money and play in the United States. Really? Oh, God. I didn't know that. He was was an introvert. Uh, I think, you know, partly because he was a functional alcoholic. Uh, You know, he just couldn't do the tour. Um, I shouldn't say that without knowing it fully. But uh, I do know that he... He had that darkness, right? He had mm-hmm. a little bit of blackness in his uh, in his cynicism. Um, mm-hmm. But again, as I keep coming back to Heraclitus, is the one the uh, great philosopher who said, "We are not this or that; we are both." Uh, and he was uh, he was able to muster these most beautiful songs. I could go on and on about all of them. But Baker Street, I always when I'm driving, Brent and Baker Street comes on and it yeah. finishes, and I know he died tragically. I always pet the dashboard, stupid thing, but I pet the dashboard. Really? Yeah, and I say, you did a good job, Jerry. You did a good job. That's great. Even now, I get emotional thinking about it, yeah. I love that. There you have it, my friends. Episode 200 is now in the books. As always, I thank you very sincerely for your loyalty over the years. And I want to give a special shout-out to my sponsors, too. Pariah Pickups down in Detroit City and Steam Whistle Brewery. It's because of all of you that the show continues. And speaking of which, keep an eye on my Facebook and Instagram pages for a special announcement in the coming weeks. I'm going to be opening up the vault and introducing some new things very shortly. All right, this has been the 200th episode of No Sleep Till Sudbury with Brent Jensen. Till next time, folks, take good care. Brent Jensen is the best-selling author of No Sleep Till Sudbury, Leftover People, and All My Favorite People Are Broken. All titles available in stores and on Amazon Worldwide. 